One of the things that breaks my heart today about the church is that it is full of lethargy about the return of Jesus. People are yawning instead of yearning for their Lord's return. This is a tragic situation, and I believe it is due to the lack of preaching about what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. After all, how can you get excited about an event that you know nothing about? To counter this apathy, I want to share with you six reasons why all Christians should earnestly desire the Lord's soon return. Stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. You know, folks, I'm excited about this message I have to share with you today. And if you are a Christian, I hope it will get you excited about the return of Jesus. And if you're not a Christian, I hope it will motivate you to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The world we live in today is dominated by violence and greed, immorality, injustice. But the Bible tells us that a day is coming very soon when all that will change and the earth will be flooded with peace, righteousness, and justice as the waters cover the sea. And when will that be? The day that Jesus returns. Here now are six reasons why all Christians should earnestly desire the Lord's soon return. Okay, I want to get into this topic with a scripture. Titus chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. Verse 11, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men. That's the first coming of Jesus Christ. But when you go to verse 12, you jump to the second coming of Jesus. And verses 12 and 13 are like a spiritual mirror. I want you to look into them. I want you to see if you're doing what these verses tell you. They tell you some things to do as you wait for the return of Jesus. Verse 12, instructing us to deny ungodliness, deny worldly desires, live sensibly, righteously, godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. Now, this particular scriptures raise some important questions. Is Jesus your blessed hope? Are you looking forward to His soon return? I mean that. Are you really looking forward? What do you expect to happen when He returns? These questions pose a problem. And the problem is this, that most of us, most of us are so ignorant of Bible prophecy that we have no idea what's going to happen when Jesus Christ returns. We just have no idea. And let me tell you something. Apathy is promoted by ignorance. When you're ignorant about something, you are apathetic about it. You could care less about it. Think about, for example, a surprise birthday party. How can you get excited about a surprise birthday party when you know absolutely nothing about it? You can't get excited all day long and think, oh, it's going to be so wonderful. No, you don't know anything about it. How can you get excited about the return of Jesus if you do not know what's going to happen when the Lord Jesus Christ returns? There's just no way. The average Christian today is yawning about the coming of Jesus instead of yearning about the coming of Jesus. And the Apostle Paul had exactly the opposite attitude. 
Let's look, for example, at the attitude of the Apostle Paul. Instead of clinging to this world, as most Christians are doing today, because it's all we know and all we can hope for, and because we don't know what the promises are concerning the future, Paul had a whole different attitude. Romans 8, verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is yet to be revealed to us. Folks, that's a mouthful. That is a mouthful. I know people who are suffering mightily from heart trouble, from cancer, from all kinds of terrible diseases, from dementia. My wife is suffering terribly, has been for years. I know what suffering is like. And, and, and this says it doesn't matter what you are suffering. It doesn't matter because it is nothing compared to the glory that is yet to be revealed to us. How many of you can say that? Paul could say it because he knew what was coming. And he repeated it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has the mind of man even conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. And look at the next verse. But God has revealed those things through His Spirit. Yes, He has revealed what we have to look forward to in the future. The problem is that most of us don't know anything about Bible prophecy, and as a result of that, we simply can't get excited about the coming of the Lord. I want us to take a look at what Paul was talking about. And I want to do it by presenting to you six reasons why I believe every Christian should be earnestly yearning for the soon return of Jesus. And the first is this, I want Jesus to receive what He deserves. And what He deserves is honor and glory and power. My friends, that's what he should have received the first time he came, but he didn't. The first time he came, he did not receive honor and glory and power. He was rejected by the Jews. He was rejected by his hometown. He was rejected by his family. He was persecuted by the religious leaders of his time. He was betrayed by his friend. He was denied by another friend. He was deserted by his disciples. He was mocked by his enemies. He had no place to lay his head. The only possession he had in the world was his robe. He was born in a stable. He was raised in poverty. He was nailed to a tree, and he was buried in a board tomb. Today, people laugh at him. They scoff at him. They use his name in vain. Can you imagine such a blasphemous billboard? This is the way Jesus is treated by the world. Today, people just scoff at him. But let me tell you something. It's going to be different when he returns. When he returns, it's going to be completely different because his second coming is not going to be like the first coming. The first time he came as a baby, but he's returning as a mighty warrior. The first time he came, he came in humility, but he is returning in majesty. The first time he came, he came as a suffering lamb, but he's returning as a roaring lion. The first time he came, he came in compassion, but he's returning in wrath. The first time he came, he came as a servant, but he is returning as a king. The first time he came, he came humbly on a donkey, but he's returning on a white war charger, which is the symbol of a victorious general. The first time he came, he came to be judged, but he is returning to judge all the nations of the world. The first time he came, he was given a crown of thorns, but when he returns, he's going to take all the crowns of all the nations of the world. The first time he came, he came to die. But when he returns, he is coming to reign. Oh, my friends, he is coming to reign in glory and majesty from Mount Zion in Jerusalem. Jesus was humiliated in history, and I want to see him vindicated in history. And God has promised that when he returns, he will be vindicated, that he will reign in power and glory and majesty from Mount Zion in Jerusalem, and all the world will be flooded with peace, righteousness, and justice. I want Jesus to come. Praise the Lord. There's a second reason I want to see Jesus come. And that's because I want Satan to receive what he deserves. And what he deserves is defeat, dishonor, and humiliation. 
Satan's, uh, Satan was defeated at the cross. The Bible teaches it very clearly. That as a result of the death of Jesus on the cross, Satan was defeated. But his defeat has not yet been realized in history. The realization in history has been postponed until the second coming of Jesus Christ. We're taught that clearly in the Bible. Look at Hebrews 2 verse 8. All things have been subjected to Him, to Jesus, but we do not yet see all things subjected to Him. Or consider 1 John 5 19, written long after the cross. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Or 1 Peter 5 8, written long after the cross. Your adversary the devil prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Yes, Satan is still prowling around even though he is a defeated opponent, but his defeat is yet future. And I am sick of Satan. I am sick of his plots and his schemes and his lies and his deceptions. I'm sick of his temptations. I'm also sick of his physical, emotional, and spiritual pollution. I'm fed up with his sicknesses. I'm fed up with his plagues. I'm tired of watching him wreck families. And societies, I am tired of his wars. I'm tired of his terrorism, his international plots. I am sick of his, his, uh, uh, his uh, uh, corruption of the church. The apostasy in the church today is beyond anything you can imagine. It's just roaring out of hand. And the church is being apostatized by Satan because he wants to destroy the church in these end times. But let me tell you, a day is coming when Satan will be dealt with. Look at Revelation 6 verse 10. Sometimes I feel like this. How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood? I just feel like that. And sometimes I feel like Isaiah. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come on down. Just come on down, Lord, and get it over with. Stop Satan under your foot and put an end to all of these things that he is doing. Look at these verses. A day of reckoning is coming. In Luke 18, 7, God will vindicate his elect who cry out to him day and night. Look at this one. Matthew 25, 41 says, A place of eternal torment has been prepared for the devil and his angels. And in Revelation chapter 20 says, The devil, his antichrist, and the false prophet will be thrown into a lake of fire where they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. Satan's fate is coming. Satan doesn't want to go to hell alone, though. That is the important point I want to make to you. He doesn't want to go to hell alone. He wants to take as many people with him as he possibly can. And I want to see the end put to that. I want to see an end put to his temptations. I want that work stopped. And it will stop when Jesus Christ returns. There's a third reason that I am interested in the return of Jesus. And that's because the return of Jesus is going to fulfill the promises that God has made to the creation. God has promised regeneration, restoration, and renewal. Those are the promises of God to the creation. And I, I, I want to talk with you about just a moment about the creation because this is something most Christians have not thought about. When the creation was originally created by God, He created it perfect and it was beautiful. He said it was all good. Have you ever stopped to think about the implications of that? That means that when the earth was originally created, there were no poisonous plants. There were no poisonous animals. There were no natural calamities like hurricanes and tsunamis and tornadoes. None of that existed. It was all in perfection. But when man sinned against God, the whole thing was thrown askew. As a result of the sin of man against God, God put a curse upon the creation. And as a result of that curse, some of the animals became meat-eating animals. Some of the animals became poisonous. Some of the plants became poisonous. Man had to strive against nature. The whole of creation 
was thrown askew as a result of the sin of man. And thus the original creation has been corrupted by the sin of man. It's been corrupted by the curse of God. It has been corrupted by the evil works of Satan. But the good news is at the moment God put that curse upon the creation, He made a promise. The first messianic prophecy in Genesis 3.15, God said that one day He would redeem all of creation, not just men and women, but all of creation through the seed of woman meaning through one who would be virgin born. And the promise meant that the creation would be returned to its original perfection. A day is coming when God's going to return it to its original perfection. Let me tell you something, folks. In the Old Testament times, you may remember that the high priest went in once a year and he sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat. The mercy seat covered the law of God. The sprinkling of the blood on the mercy seat was a symbolic prophecy that one day through the shedding of the blood of the Messiah, that the mercy of God would cover the law of God. But he also stepped back and he sprinkled the blood on the ground. And that was a symbol that the death of the Messiah would not only result in the redemption of mankind, but the redemption of all of God's creation. God loves His creation. He wants to redeem the creation. And He is going to do it when Jesus Christ returns. Look at this, Isaiah 11, 6. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. There's the wolf and the lamb. And the leopard will lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little boy will lead them because they will no longer be dangerous. They will be pets. And then it says in verse 7, the cow and the bear will graze, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw with the ox. No more will you see scenes like this of animals eating other animals. My mother, I mean my, my wife loves to watch the, the, the animal channel. And every time I walk through the room, there's one animal eating another animal. I just can't stand the animal channel. But uh, that will not be anymore. It's all going to be in perfect peace and perfection. Isaiah 11, 8, and the nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand in the viper's den. Why? Because the snakes will no longer be poisonous. They will be playthings for children. This is not fantasy. This is not Alice in Wonderland. This is a promise of God that He is going to redeem all of nature when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. As a result of this, there's been many artistic expressions over the years, some funny, some very serious. This is my favorite funny one. Shows a lion sitting and reading a book, a little lamb just peacefully lying beside him, sound asleep. Everybody's happy. Everything's copacetic. And what is the book he's reading? Veggie recipes. Yeah. (laughs) But then there are the serious works like this one that was painted in 1834 by Edward Hicks, an American painter. This is called The Peaceable Kingdom. And you see on the right little children playing with all these wild animals. And they're, they're, they're no no danger there whatsoever. They're playing with the animals. The animals who are natural enemies of each other are peaceful. And in the background you see the pilgrims and the Indians living together in peace. I love the American Southwest. I love the vacation in New Mexico. And I found this not long ago. This is the peaceable kingdom from a New Mexico viewpoint of the animals that are characteristic of that area. Written, uh, painted by a wonderful New Mexico artist. And right in the middle, I don't know if you can see it or not, but there's a little boy sound asleep on the back of a wolf. This is not fantasy. This is what the Lord is promising when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Well, there's another reason I want to see Jesus return. The fourth reason is because He's going to fulfill the promises that He has made to all the nations of the world. That He's going to bring priests and righteousness and justice. Man, I can hardly wait for that day to come. Uh, Mankind has been plagued by war ever since uh, uh, man was put on this earth. And man has dreamed of peace ever since the beginning of mankind. And peace has proved elusive. It doesn't matter how many peace conferences that are held. It doesn't matter how many have been held in the past, how many will be held in the future. None of them will produce world peace. None of them will produce world peace until the Prince of Peace returns. We're told that. Isaiah 9, verse 6, a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. 
That's the first coming. Then it jumps to the second coming. And the government will rest upon his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. Peace is going to provide the perfect atmosphere for justice. Oh, how I we earn for perfect justice. Today there's one form of justice for Hispanics, another form of justice for blacks, another form of justice for whites, and another form of justice for those who have a lot of money. But not in this day and age. When Jesus Christ returns, there is going to be perfect justice. That's why the earth is going to be flooded with peace, righteousness, and justice. And not only that, look at what it says in Isaiah 11. With righteousness He will judge the poor. Decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. Righteousness will be the belt around His loins and faithfulness the belt about His waist. Oh, how I've dreamed of a government that would be characterized by righteousness and fairness and faithfulness. And it's going to come when Jesus Christ arrives. Also, the earth is going to be flooded with holiness and with righteousness. Look at this verse from Isaiah 11. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And not only that, look at this from Zechariah 14. The prophet says that the bells on the horse's bridles and the pots in the kitchens will have inscribed on them the words, holy to the Lord. That means separated to the Lord, dedicated to the Lord. Even the bells on the horse's bridles and the pots in the kitchens That is what was on the headband of the high priest who was separated and set apart for the Lord. But everything is going to be separated and set apart and dedicated to the Lord during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. What a day that will be, and I can hardly wait for it to arrive. Well, there's a fifth reason. I want to see the Lord come back. And the fifth reason has to do with the Jewish people. I want to see Him fulfill His promises to them, promises of salvation and respect and primacy. Yes, God has promised that a day will come when the Jewish people who are today are hated with a passion all over the world. A day will come when they will be treated with respect and they will receive salvation and they will be the prime nation in all the world. You know, the reason that Jews are hated all over the world today by people who have never even met a Jew is because Satan hates the Jewish people with a passion. And he puts in people's heart anti-Semitism even though they've never met a Jew. He hates the Jews with a passion. He hates them because it was through them that God provided the world the Messiah. It was through them that God provided the world uh, the Word of God. It was through them that He has promised that one day He's going to bring all of this peace and righteousness and justice. And Satan wants to kill off every Jew. That's what the Holocaust was all about. That's what the tribulation is going to be all about. He's going to try once again to annihilate all the Jews, but he will not be successful. Let's see what the Bible has to say about this. It says that on the day when Jesus Christ returns to the Mount of Olives, that there be a great cleavage in the mountain, and the Jewish people in the city of Jerusalem who are under siege from the Antichrist will come out to the Mount of Olives and fall on their knees before Him. And they will cry out, Baruch HaBab Hashem Adonai, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. And they will accept Him as their Messiah. Look at how it's described in Zechariah 12. And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. They will look on Me whom they have pierced. They will mourn for Him as one mourns for an only son. And they will weep bitterly over Him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. A day of salvation is coming. And let me tell you, when that occurs, what a day it's going to be. Instead of the Jews being scorned, instead of the Jews being harassed, instead of the Jews being persecuted, instead of the Jews being murdered, it says in the Bible that the whole world will respect the Jews. Let me show you a scripture about that. Zechariah 8, 23. I love this this illustration of this verse done by a Messianic Jew in Israel, a believing Jew. And this is what that verse says in Zechariah 8.23. The Lord of hosts says, in those days, 
the days when Jesus will be ruling, ten men from the nations, ten Gentiles, will grasp the garment of a Jew and say, let us walk with you because we know that God is with you. Oh, what a day that will be. Jesus will reign in majesty and glory from Mount Zion in Jerusalem. The Bible says that when Jesus returns, the greatest earthquake in history will occur, that all the valleys will be lifted up, all the mountains will be lowered. It's like the face of the earth is lowered. It says Jerusalem will be lifted up and implies it will be the highest place on planet earth, and the glory of God will go forth from there. Jesus will be King of kings and Lord of lords. David in his glorified body is going to be the King of Israel. You and I in our glorified bodies are going to be scattered over this earth to reign over those who are in natural bodies. I love this illustration. He's beating the swords into plowshares. The wolf is lying down with the lamb. The little boy is playing with the snake. The illustration of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, and I can hardly wait. Well, let's review. I want Jesus to return because I want Him to receive what He deserves. Honor, glory, and power. I want Jesus to return because I want Satan to receive what he deserves. Defeat, dishonor, humiliation. I want Jesus to return because I want the creation to receive what it has been promised. Regeneration, restoration, and renewal. I want Jesus to return because I want the nations to receive what they have been promised, peace, righteousness, and justice. I want Jesus to return because I want Israel to receive what has been promised, salvation, respect, and primacy. And there's a sixth reason, a sixth reason that I want to see Jesus return. And that's because I want to see the saints, you and me, the church, receive what we have been promised. We have been given so many promises, the promise of the rapture, the promise of glorified bodies. And the glorious promise that Jesus is going to renovate this earth and put it back to its original perfection. And then He's going to give us dominion over it. We will reign over it. He originally gave Adam and Eve dominion. They lost it to Satan. But we're going to get it back when Jesus returns. Look at this. We're going to reign with Him. It says so in verse after verse after verse. And here is one of them, Daniel 7. And to Him, the Messiah, was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve Him. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms of the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest. Well, that's you and me. We're going to reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 2.12, if we endure, we will reign with Him. Revelation 2, and He who overcomes and He who keeps my deeds until the end to Him, I will give authority over the nations, and He shall rule them with a rod of iron. Over and over, we are promised that one day we will reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, those are the six reasons I think every Christian should be yearning for the return of Jesus. But I got to add a seventh. I got to add a seventh because all good prophecy teachers have seven points. Uh, (laughs) Seven is the number of perfection and completion in Bible prophecy. So we're going to put a seventh reason. It's a very personal, very personal for me and for you. This personal reason is this I want to see Jesus return because I want to be reunified with friends and family who have gone on before me. I want to see my mom and dad again. I want to see good friends who have died and gone to be with the Lord. Every time one of my family members dies now, I I just feel that much closer to heaven because I know they're there and I can hardly wait to see them. I want to see the face of Jesus. I want to embrace Jesus. I I want to, uh, to, to bask in the presence of His glory. I want to see His nail scarred hands and I want to kiss those hands. Oh, I want to bow down before Him and I want to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for changing and guiding me. Thank you for for sustaining me. Thank you for providing me with hope. I can hardly wait. When you love somebody, you want to be with them. When you love somebody, you want to be with them. Do you really have a personal relationship with Jesus? If you do, you want to be with Him. I love my wife. I love her dearly. I want to be with her. I've been married to her for 54 years. and, And when I'm away from her, I call her on the phone and I tell her I love her. 
Years ago, when I used to go to Israel before you could make calls to the states, uh, you know, I, I, would, I, I, I would get together 12 cards and I would write a card for each day I'm gone and, and I would give them to my office manager. And each day my wife would get a card from me and I would send her flowers to her classroom. She was a first grade teacher. And I'd make sure that she was honored in that way while I was gone. And, and then if I could make a phone call, I'd call and tell her I loved her. I'm, you know, when, when you love somebody, you want to be with them. I love Jesus. I love to fellowship with Him in His Word. I love to fellowship with Him in worship. I love to fellowship with Him in prayer. But I want to be with Him because I love Him. And I can hardly wait until that day when I will see Him face to face. I want to adore Him. I want to worship Him in person. And I want to join the heavenly host. As they sing, worthy, worthy is the Lamb to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And until that day, I'm going to get up every morning. I'm going to look at the sky. And I'm going to cry out from the depths of my heart, Maranatha, Maranatha, Maranatha. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Thank you. God bless you. sincerely hope that the sermon you have just viewed has been a blessing to you, and I pray that because of it you will never be apathetic again about the return of Jesus. God has made some glorious promises concerning the future when His Son will return to this earth, and you can be assured that He will fulfill every one of them to the minutest detail. And if you are a person who has never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I pray this program will cause you to stop and think seriously about the eternal destiny of your soul. You are going to spend eternity in one of two places, either heaven or hell, and the choice is yours. God's choice for you is heaven. The Bible says He does not wish that any should perish. That's why He sent His precious Son to die for your sins. But you need to reach out in faith and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior if you want to spend eternity in heaven. Did you know that the Bible says that the only reason Jesus has not yet returned is because God wants to see more people saved? But the signs of the times are pointing to the fact that Jesus is at the very gates of heaven about to return. The time left for you to determine your eternal destiny is growing short. Don't delay. Receive Jesus today. Well, as we bring this program to a close, I want to thank you for being with us, and I hope you will join us again next week. I also want to thank those of you who have sent us notes of encouragement and donations. Folks, it costs a lot of money for us to produce and broadcast these programs. We need your prayers, and we need your financial support. Please put us on your prayer list, and please consider making a special donation to our ministry today. Well, that's it for this week. Until next week, the Lord willing, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. Dr. David Reagan's book, Living on Borrowed Time, presents a sweeping overview of the signs of the times that point to the imminent return of Jesus to this earth. It also contains a prophetic form in which 22 Bible prophecy experts respond to 11 questions about the signs of the times. Some of the experts include David Hawking, Jack Kinsella, Jan Markell, Ron Rhodes, Bill Salas, Gary Fisher, Nathan Jones, and Tim LaHaye. Dr. Reagan addresses the most commonly asked questions concerning the return of Jesus. The book can be yours for a donation of $20 or more, and that includes the cost of shipping. To order a copy, call the number you see on the screen Monday through Friday between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Central Time or visit our website at lamblion.com. 
As a bonus, we will send you a copy of a special publication entitled, Are You Ready for the Lord's Return? This is a great witnessing booklet since it discusses what constitutes a true Christian, one who is an heir to the biblical promise of everlasting life with our Creator. Again, just call the number you see on the screen and ask for offer number 802. The Living on Borrowed Time book and the booklet can be yours for a gift of $20 or more, including shipping. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 